Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secrets of Marketers podcast, the only podcast you can rely on to give you real, raw, unfiltered marketing advice covering the latest tips, tricks, and tools that millionaire marketers use to make money online. I am your host, Jeremy Blossom. Sit back, relax, and let's start discovering the true secrets of marketers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Secrets of Marketers podcast. This is your host, Jeremy Blossom. And today I have a very special guest for you. His name is Alan Burt. He is the CEO of bluestout.com. And we are going to be jumping into the wild, wild world of e-commerce marketing. Um, I know a lot of my listeners are big e-commerce folks. Um, they're curious on starting e-commerce. They may have a, a, a big business in e-commerce. So this episode is going to be for you. But I always like to turn it over to our guests and have them introduce themselves. So Alan, say hello and, and maybe fill in some of the gaps. Yeah, sure. Hey, guys. My name is Alan Burt. I am the CEO and founder of an agency called Blue Stout. It's bluestout.com. We work with e-commerce businesses, mainly physical products, uh, brand owners that are selling the majority of their sales uh, through online channels. Um, we are a Shopify Plus agency, a Klaviyo email marketing agency. And what we help brands do is scale without paid ads. So what we do is we go in and help you optimize your store, build your store to improve conversion rates, average order values, and also increase your overall revenue from email. Great. Succinct. It's like you've done this before. Like you may uh, Maybe a, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, what's the name of your podcast, Alan? You were telling me about it before. Yeah, so we run a podcast called The Commerce Lab. Um, it's a podcast. It's a we do a weekly newsletter, um, and if you just go to thecommercelab.com, you can sign up. And the whole goal of the, uh, of the the podcast of The Commerce Lab is to help brand operators stay ahead of the curve. So what we do is we go out and we find brands that are succeeding in very specific areas of business. Maybe it's in ads, maybe it's in email marketing, maybe it's in operations. Uh, we look at big brands, you know, you know, brands you have heard of before, like Bonobos or Me Undies. Um, you know, you know, Bomba Socks, and we talk to their CEOs or their the folks that are actually in the operations, and we talk about what they've been successful at, and we break that down into components so that you can take it, send it to your team members, or just implement it yourself. So the idea is we deconstruct these really, really successful tactics of these brands, and we do it in a way that you can go and implement it into your own business. I think after this episode, you're going to have a, a spike in new downloads because you've, you've got a great background in this and you have a lot of skills that I think people uh, who listen to my podcast are really going to want to know more about. So go and check out his podcast, everyone. Um, my first question for you, Alan, just to kind of set the stage for, for today's episode is what do you see the stage looking like? What do you see the environment looking like right now for um, e-commerce brands? And, and you specialize more into like the five to 25 million a year range. So maybe you could start there. And, and I know it's a broad question, but I think this would be really good for everyone to hear what, what you think is going on and some of the things you're excited about. Yeah, it's a very broad question, and there's a lot of ways we can we can take this. But um, I think also specifically, if you look at that, you know, our range is sort of five to twenty-five, five to fifty million dollar range. You know, clients that we work with, brands that we work with, and for those types of brands, there's a lot of things happening right now. Um, if you're listening to this, it's you know we're sort of in the midst of this coronavirus uh, sort of pandemic. A lot of brands are freaking out over things like supply chain. So right now, I think what's on top of everybody's mind is, especially if you're operating a physical products brand, is you know what is what does my supply chain look like? Most of these brands are operating or, or manufacturing at least a, a portion of their products out of China. So we're seeing a lot of strain in the supply chain coming out of China, uh, and brands looking to expand or try to diversify where their manufacturing is happening, uh, whether it be in the U.S. or Mexico. We're seeing a lot of movement down to Mexico. Um, so right now, I'd put that as sort of like the number one most immediate concern is supply chain. But sure. on a much broader level, and, and this is something that's been happening sort of over the last year, where we see the absolute most squeeze and pain is really uh, coming out of customer acquisition. So there was this heyday of you know Facebook ads and Instagram ads for the last five years. 
where a lot of brands were able to just just explode in growth just by leveraging paid acquisition through channels like Facebook and Instagram. But what we've seen over the last year specifically is that those channels have just gotten exponentially more expensive, uh, squeezing the profit margins that a lot of these brands are able to see. You, know, you look at uh, some of the so the recent um, you know. S1 offerings coming out of brands like Casper. Uh, You've seen brands like Outdoor Voices start to struggle. Um, You've seen Brandless, which is a a big, well-funded brand, you know, go bankrupt. So you've seen a lot of these brands that were leveraging really high, you know, leveraging ads as a form of acquisition, see their customer acquisitions costs go through the roof, and all of a sudden they're kind of shit out of luck. And so the biggest issue right now is how do you start to diversify that traffic or how do you start to create more leverage on the back end so that you can actually create you know, higher order volume, uh, higher customer lifetime values on those ads costs so you can actually start to balance out the equation a bit more. Yeah, the barrier to entry, right, is going up dramatically. And so the lot of people who've got really good ideas for products or services are now being squeezed out because they can't compete. So the million dollar question and what you guys do best is what are those tactics? I'm personally really curious to learn from you too on what are some of the things that you immediately try to implement with your brands that you're working with to overcome this yeah, it's and so and again, it's a very broad question. We'll we'll sort of break it down by by component and the way that we the way that we think about it. So at the end of the day, we like to think of we like to work backwards. And what I mean by that is, you know, e-commerce is actually a pretty simple equation. At the end of the day, it's you know your traffic in the door times your store's conversion rate times the the average order value that your customers are, are purchasing with, right? The the amount that they order every time they order, and then you factor in the amount of times that they come back and buy again, right? So there's really only four variables that come into play when you're looking at what drives revenue to an e-commerce brand. Um, what we see and what we've seen over the last few years, right, is most brands focus on the first variable is traffic. How much traffic can we drive? They're looking at ads, looking at Instagram, looking at SEO, looking at affiliate programs, looking at PR. Yeah. How, do we, how can we push more people in the door? But the reality is you really need to be looking at that equation and working your way backwards. And so the very first thing you should be looking at is customer lifetime value. How do we improve customer lifetime value for our existing traffic, right? And that, that's sort of where you start. And then the next step of the equation is, like, okay, well, once we know that we can get people to buy more from us, how do we actually get those first, first-time visitors to convert higher? So you look at things like conversion rate, and then once you get your conversion rate dialed in, then you should actually go in and look at traffic. So when we're looking at brands, the very first thing we look at is those, those numbers that drive customer acquisition or that drive customer lifetime value, which would be, you know, how many times is a customer coming out, coming back and buying from you? What's the repeat purchase rate? And then what's the order value that they're buying um, from you with, right? Is that $6? Is it $100? $150? What's that order value? Um, and then finally, we'll look at the overall store's conversion rate and we'll determine how do you actually start to increase your store's, uh, the store conversion uh, for your different types of traffic sources. That's so good. Alan, I, I want everyone to hear this too. Um, so I, I asked strategy, I'm, I'm trying to get into, you know, how are you approaching this? And so for a lot of people, the, it, it, how well do you know your math, right? Uh, can you, you know, can you tell us what the average lifetime value is of your customer for your e-commerce brand? Um, you know, and I know that sounds like for us, we do this every single day, Ellen, but um, for a lot of people listening, that's a number that they need to go, you know what, I should probably go back and have my team work on this, or we should really um, dial that in. And every stage of this customer acquisition process needs to be um, pinpointed back to a number. Having a quantitative approach is absolutely necessary to win. So absolutely love that. So um, when it comes down to um, some, of your, some of your clients that, are, that you're working with right now, what are some of the biggest problems that you're seeing them through this process? Where some, I call it the fat, you know, and I look at the customer acquisition or customer journey through a business. Um, there are certain stages that people could definitely increase. Do you see that, that most businesses could immediately impact their business by increasing lifetime value? Do you see it where they could drive their customer acquisition costs down? Um, where do you see usually when you're working with your clients on where the areas that they could optimize the most at? Yeah, so customer acquisition cost is usually the area that everybody's trying to optimize for, but it's the hardest. Um, sure. So we typically don't look there. Typically, the the low hanging fruit comes in two forms, and it's order value, uh, and then it's conversion rate. And order value being, I think, probably the 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 one that least people look at because they just sort of assume that you know this is what people are going to buy. 
And the reality is that there's a, there's so much out there that you can do to increase order value. Um, you know, we were talking to a coffee brand the other day, and these guys sell you know seven dollar bags of coffee. Um, yet their average order value was over sixty dollars, right? Mm. And so they were able to, on average, get you know whatever the math is on that eight to nine people to buy. You know, sorry, they were able to get you know a single person on average to buy eight to nine bags of coffee, right? Like at a on a single purchase. And so the way that they're able to do that has has a lot to do with how they present the offer. Um, you know, as opposed to offering just sort of a single bag, everything's being presented in bundles, um, things like that. So we're we're looking at opportunities to drive customers in and increase that order value, usually using three techniques. One is a bundle. So in this example of the the sort of the coffee example, as opposed to saying, "Hey, come come and buy one bag," we're offering them you know, three, six or subscription programs, you know, for, for those offers. And then we're giving discounts or incentives for kind of working way up the chain. So those will be bundled offers. Uh, the other way we're doing it is with very dynamic cross sales or upsells in the store experience. So, you know, if you add a bag of coffee, um, you know, to your, you know, to your cart, the second you get to your cart, you're going to get a very dynamic offer that's going to offer you something else, right? You know, maybe it's, you know, like a coffee toolkit or it's, you know, more like a pour over kit or whatever it may be, something that's going to be an associated product that's going to make total sense given what you have in your cart at that time. And then we're going to test those offers and figure out what's going to drive AOV um, the best in cart. And then one of the most successful ways that very, very few people do in the, the physical product space, we see this all the time in the digital space, but very few brands are doing this in the physical space. It's what we call post-purchase upsells. And so this is where, let's say somebody comes in, they add one bag of coffee to their cart, uh, they go through checkout, they put the credit card down, they click, you know, order, you know, credit cards being processed. And during that processing, you get an upsell offer. You know, we already have your credit card information, um, and we call these one-click upsells. And you say, okay, well, as opposed to just getting one bag of coffee, how about sign up for our subscription program for 20% off? Or instead of one bag, get a second bag for 30% off. Um, and you've already made the purchase. You've already captured that first, that first purchase. So there's no risk in losing that conversion um, because you, and you already have the credit card information. So you can literally just have that customer click one extra button to add more product to their order. Um, that's something that has done very, very little in the physical product space um, hmm. that we see to see being very successful for clients that we test with. Yeah, that's a really great strategy. We, we StrikePoint is very much in the digital side and selling a lot of info products. Um, and so we call those like bump offers, right? So you come yep. in and you'll see something and then all, and you purchase it, but then you could just add this additional thing and it's a crazy good value or a crazy deal. And we, we see... Um, not, not only does it help, but it actually, it drives that AOV, right? So, um, one, two, it's a big thing that, that everyone listening here, our mission actually every single day is to help our customers attract and acquire, um, their customers and then turn those customers into super customers. In our opinion, a super customer is someone who continues to buy from you. So Apple is one of the best at this. Um, if you want to retain customers, um, people will spend a lot of money on branding to retain customers, spend a lot of money on their packaging, spend a lot of money on like, you know, um, um, a lot of like, I think ego, more ego driven things versus getting them to just buy more from you. So getting them to buy more, buy more, buy more actually helps with retention and turns those customers into your super customers. Um, do you see, Alan, for you specifically, um, how early on are you thinking about these bundle offers and the cart strategy? Are you thinking this all the way through from like the ad that the person's seeing? Um, is it like, no, no, we really don't care how the traffic's coming in. We'll experiment after the traffic's there. Can you walk in, like maybe combine your traffic testing and your, um, you know, the acquisition on the cart side? hundred percent. It, it's, and it should at some point, usually in the very beginning, it's not that quite, not as sophisticated and you're sort of running the same offers across all traffic, but you should very quickly then start to differentiate that and have different types of offers or different types of landing pages for different types of traffic sources. So you know, like a great example would be you know, traffic that's coming from like Google shopping or from you know, Google CPC campaigns. So these are folks that are out there searching for something specific. So there's a very strong you know, context to that product and you drive them to a product page, you know, maybe they're actually searching for a pain point. Maybe they're searching, if we keep with the coffee example, they're searching for coffee, they land on a coffee product, right? That That is going to have a much higher conversion rate given the context of the search 
query that that customer came in on versus let's say something like Instagram or Facebook where somebody's just in their scroll, in their feed, scrolling through, and all of a sudden they see this inspirational post about coffee or they see a lifestyle post about coffee and they're inspired by it and they click through. They had no intention. They were not searching for anything related to coffee. They just ended up on the store. And so the the goal of what you should do with that person at that stage is very different. Um, for somebody who's coming in from like CPC, you know, we're going to strongly push um, you know, a high AOV uh, offer, something that might be a high bundled offer. Uh, for somebody who's coming in without that context that really just had no interest, wasn't searching for coffee, but we've inspired them, it's going to be a much much more light offer, right? Uh, it might be a product offering where we're, we're maybe just offering them samples or we're, we're getting them to just purchase a single bag, something that's a little, little less of a barrier. Um, a lot of cases, what we're doing is actually not even focusing on product product conversions, we're actually focusing on email acquisitions. So if somebody's coming in, especially if it's a first-time visitor, cold visitor, you know, what we see typically across the board for brands is that conversion rates for a cold traffic source, something like a Facebook, somebody who's never had interaction with a brand before, you know, that conversion rate is going to be well under 1%, you know, sometimes yeah. even under a half a percent uh, as compared to like a two to three or 4% for, for another store uh, that has warm traffic coming in. So in that case, what we're really focusing on is how do we actually just get you to opt into the ecosystem or opt into some high value piece of content that's going to get you to stick around so we can nurture you through things like email campaigns or retargeting ads going forward. So you should pretty quickly start to sophisticate, you know, get more sophisticated with what you do with people that are coming to the store, very much dependent upon what that traffic source is. Yeah, I was just going to ask that actually, how how important is lead generation in the e-commerce space? And what's your advice for lead generation? Um, so I'd love for you to, to you started to talk about it. Let's dive into it. Yeah, so it's that's an area where kind of you're asking about like low hanging fruit. That's an area that we see get dramatically underutilized for most brands. Because again, most folks are the the general sentiment in the e-com space and uh, the physical product space. And you kind of have to remember where these folks are coming from. Most brand owners weren't aren't marketers, right? They didn't they didn't kind of grow up in like the digital marketing space or cut their teeth in the digital marketing space. These are these are brand creators or inventors. They've created physical products. They're yeah. deep in operations, manufacturing, right? And so. So they, they've used sort of the, the world of e-com as, okay, we drive a bunch of traffic to the store and it converts or it doesn't convert. They think of it as like this flat thing versus this very elongated customer journey that has to be optimized and, and played, you know, played the long game with. So um, specifically, we see a lot uh, really underutilized, um, we see stores that are underutilizing uh, acquisition and email acquisition on the front end. Um, and so it's something that we see a lot of success with when we go in and plug it in. And what you should be doing is you should be first off, you know, running email acquisition through whether it's actual offers, discount offers, whether it's exclusive offerings, things like what you'd see in the digital product space, like PDF downloads. And that stuff all does actually still work really well in the e-com space, especially if it has high context. Um, if you're in like, let's say, let's, let's say it's like the specialty food space and you're offering you know, recipes and guides and a download, those convert incredibly well. And that lets you then put people into, into email nurture sequences, um, which overall email should be about 25 to 35% of your total revenue if you're doing it correctly. So it's a, it's a really, really strong sales channel and should be your highest ROI sales channel of anything you do in e-commerce. Um, but in order to do that, you have to get people into those lists and you have to get people into those flows and automations. And the best way to do that is through, is through aggressive email acquisition on first visits. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I, I just posted recently, it was, on, it was kind of going back and forth with some people online about this topic on email and how important it is. And with the advent of social media, I feel like a lot of companies have um, really gone all in, which they should. Social media channels can be a really great customer acquisition source for you. But um, it will never, like to your point, it'll never, ever, ever be able to compete with um, the ROI you get on email on your owned traffic source. And yep. so, um, and not to mention that they're um, uh, all these, you know, Instagram, Facebook, these guys are, are going to be even going further with the shopping cart experience, much like Amazon has and going yeah. that direction. So it's not, you know, they, it, they, it, it's great. And, and they're, and they're luring us all in with their content and it's a great place to share stuff, but man, we really have to be able to control the conversation and reach people when we want to reach them. Um, and 25% is a great, I would agree with that's a great number to, to make sure that your revenue is coming from a specific traffic source, especially from email. 
So really good. Um, for you specifically, when um, you're looking at the email, let's transition to the email marketing side for a second. So I know that's one of the big core things that Blue Style is about is helping your brands really um, set up the proper email marketing tactics. Um, what are some of the big sweeping things that brands are doing wrong? Um, or what are some of the things that you have seen that are just like absolutely killer from an email marketing tactic standpoint? Yeah, great question. So uh, let's start with what everybody's doing wrong, because I think that's probably the the area that you could start to optimize the fastest. Um, <clears throat> and the, the, so the two biggest areas that we see brands failing in, especially brands that are just now you know, starting to scale, let's say you're doing you know, five to 10 million and, and really starting to hit your stride. Um, hit, you know, you've built a, a decent sized list. The two areas that we see brands get into the most trouble are, uh, first off, uh, they're sending campaigns to their entire list or to incredibly yeah. broad segments of their entire list. And they're not doing a good job of niching down or segmenting down. Um, that's going to be your, your number one biggest problem. And the reason being is that you're going to be very limited to how much email you can send when you're sending it to your entire list and still maintain high open rates and high engagement rates. Um, the way that we always talk about it at Blue Stout is that you need to be thinking about your email list as this multi-million dollar asset that, yes, needs to be scaled, but also needs to be protected. And if you are just, as you scale, if you just continue to send emails consistently to your entire list, open rates are going to go down, your sender reputation is going to go down, and ultimately you're going to, you're going to be in trouble with, with this asset you've created. So being very, very diligent about who you send to and how you create those segments is the biggest flaw we see, mainly because A, you got to protect the list, but then also because the more you segment, the more you can send. Now, let's say a brand is sending, you know, you know, eight emails uh, a month and they're sending to the entire list. You know, you might be able to double that and send 16 if you're sending certain emails to targeted segments and, you know, increasing send to your most engaged customer base or your most engaged prospects. So actually sending more email to the folks that are more engaged and then reducing the amount of email you're sending to those that are less engaged. By doing that, by sending actually less email to those who are less engaged, you actually are more likely to engage them, Right. So if you think about somebody who's getting eight emails from you a month that, you know, doesn't want any of them, right? They're not going to open anything. But if you send that person one email every two months, right, they might actually engage because they're just interested enough or just intrigued enough, or you're reaching out just infrequently enough that they're going to engage. And getting them to engage that one time every other month is way better than them getting to, you know, zero engagement uh, overall. So you can actually increase revenue to your least engaged segments by sending them less email. And a lot of brands don't understand that. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I like talking to you, man. It's like, <laughs> um, because I preach this stuff, this stuff so much to people. Um, and, and you broke that down so perfectly. Yeah, everyone listening here, there is no such thing as over segmenting. And there are so many more, I bet you there's so much more you could stretch out your audience than you really think you can. And that's the best the way to think about it. If you, um, your email list is like putty. And if you just take the whole wad of putty and just, you know, slap it onto something, you're not getting the maximum use out of it. You can actually stretch this putty out over and over and over again, and you can cover a really, really big area and you can actually have a way more impactful um, 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 email marketing strategy. And that source can be so much more impactful for you. People ask me, how much is too much email? And I go, there is no really no such thing as too much email if you do the proper segmenting. So exactly. You you know, because there's going to be people who are, who want to hear from you as often as they possibly can, because let's say that you're selling like a nutrition type product um, and they're really into weight loss right now. And they're really wanting to stay motivated and they, and they really like this content that you're producing. Um, that person's and other people are, yeah, you know, I kind of fallen off the wagon. I'm really not into it, but they like those reminders and you do put out good content. Um, so, you know, those are, there's, there's, those are just two different extremes because of the psychology behind the person. So good. Segmenting is what a lot of people do wrong. What are some of the things that people like to do um, that you are seeing that people are doing right or that they, that they should be doing more of? Yeah, the thing that people should be doing a lot more of is automations. Um, we see a lot of brands that default to campaigns, uh, and campaigns are fantastic. You should be sending a lot more campaigns and better segmentations like we talked about. But the, the area that we see a lot of people neglect is you know, what we call automations or flows. And, and again, in the digital space, you see this all the time, drip campaigns or whatever you want to call them. In the e-commerce space, you know, 
it's not not unusual to run to a brand that's a high seven figure or even eight figure brand that's you know the most they do with an automation is like a welcome sequence that somebody who signs up for the newsletter and then an abandoned cart sequence you know too um, and the reality is you should be sending you know, you know base level flows for a seven figure brand should be anywhere from six to eight automations that are firing all the time and the way that we describe this is if you understand your customer journey, right? You understand that, you know, it's it's going to be way more than a single touch point to get somebody to buy your product, right? So getting them to come from an ad landing on your site once, very unlikely they're going to buy. And on average, it's going to take anywhere from five to 15 touch points with your brand to get somebody to finally convert. So if you think of it that way, and you think about this person who's sort of walking along this pathway, you know, their, their buying journey with you is this pathway. And all along the way, there's all these touch points. You should be using email and using automations to fire at each of these various different touch points to help to nudge them to that next touch point. So as an example, you know, before somebody buys, you, know, you could think of like the very basic flow setups as, you know, welcome sequence. You could have, you know, browse abandonment sequences. So once somebody signs up, you know they're on a specific product page or a specific collections page. You can fire a very specific browse abandonment sequence. If somebody makes it to the cart page, then you can start to fire cart uh, cart abandonment sequences. After they make their first purchase, you can do an indoctrination sequence that really really pulls them into the brand story. Uh, then you can do upsell sequences or cross-sell sequences. And after they buy their second product, and you can have a whole other set of sequences. And then after the third buy, you can put them in the VIP campaigns. And so all these different touch points along the customer journey should all have automations that are tied to them. Um, and that these are things that are, again, they're firing in the background. And the benefit of these is, A, they're firing in the background, so it's not like you're having to go out and create campaigns every week to do them. Uh, B, they're nudging customers to that next stage. Uh, so, so A, you're, you're building in these touch points with them that are going to nudge them to the next stage, which, by the way, makes your ads more effective, right? Yeah. So if you have somebody who's seeing a retargeting ad who also saw three emails from you, they're going to be much more likely to convert on that ad, Absolutely. right? And so, and I think these are all things people forget. And then um, like most importantly is that automations, because they're fired and they're triggered while you're based upon an action your customer's already taken, they also get better engagement. You know, versus like a campaign that I just blast out and send to people um, that's, yes, we make it very relevant and they're segmented, but it's not based upon something you did, right? But if you were just on a product page and we fire in a, a browse abandonment sequence, that, that connection and the congruency is there. And so you're much more likely to open it because it's very relevant to the thing you just did. And so we see you know, open rates for these types of um, automation campaigns that can range from 30 to 50%. And so you get a lot higher engagement off of automations than you do just off of regular email campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's such an easy way uh, for for people to understand um, a couple things. One is it's an easy way to, um, to get instant feedback. So um, open rates and engagements with your stuff is feedback on is this, is it working or is it not working? Um, right. Um, and not to mention that there's a way for us, to, if you think about the customer to get feedback on what they want next and um, what, what are people doing? So by you getting this feedback from them, creating these automation sequences, and then going back and testing how they're working, you're able to see this info. Do you A-B test um, Alan, these these email sequences, these automations, I should say, um, or do you kind of set it and then look at the numbers and only tweak based off the numbers or both? Both. Yeah. So the answer is both. It's, um, you know, the, where we always start with is, is sort of the, the baseline. Um, you know, it's something's better than nothing. So you need to get something. And the, the analogy I always give for this is like, if you think of your brand, think of your business as like a Formula One race car. Um, there's times to like get in and tweak, you know, tweak the engine and fine tune the engine. Uh, but fine tuning the engine doesn't do much if you're like missing one of the tires, right? And so yeah. like we're look we're looking for like let's make sure you've got all four tires in the car first before you start doing things like A/B testing and email automation sequences would is absolutely one of those tires. And so for a lot of brands when we first start working with, it's figuring out okay what's the customer journey, what are the sequences that need to be set up first, and let's get them in place, and then let's see what the data does. Um, lots of times, you know, we'll see sequences that are big winners. We'll see ones that are just massive failures. So we just go in and completely revamp the ones that failed. Other times we'll see kind of a mix or we'll see them kind of plateau out. Like they'll see some growth and they'll plateau. And it's at those plateaus where it starts to make sense to A-B test lots of different things. We can A-B test subject lines uh, to get open rates up. We can A-B test offers within the emails uh, in order to get click rates up. So there's lots of different things you can start to test uh, once you get those baseline flows in place. 
Um, and then the data also shows where you should start to create more branches and additional flows, right? So you might have somebody sign up for a welcome, you know, welcome offering, you know, or they sign up for your newsletter, let's say it's maybe they sign up to get a 10% discount on their first order. Um, and we see very specific engagement within that, that first welcome sequence. We might create a branch that actually fires a different version of it for somebody that clicks on the first email. So if somebody, you know, if we have to offer two products in, the, in an offering in that sequence and somebody clicks on one versus the other, we might then push them into a completely different sequence after that versus somebody else. So you can get infinitely complex with these as you continue to, to grow over time. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I know I'm going to get a lot of uh, questions about this. So what email service platform provider do you use like the most and why? In e-commerce, the, the number one platform that we recommend is a platform called Klaviyo. Um, and it's pretty specific to e-com. Um, we don't see it being used much uh, elsewhere. Um, and it's been one of these very fast-growing uh, SaaS companies that, that really only popped up a handful of years ago, but has very quickly been the go-to platform. And the reason being is that they have really deep integrations with the existing e-commerce platforms like Shopify. Shopify and Shopify Plus are the, uh, is the main e-commerce platform that the majority of our clients work on. And Klaviyo has a deep API integration that allows you to do things like segment based upon all the actions that are being taken on the store. So as opposed to saying, okay, we're going to create segments based upon just like email open rates or just on email click rates, we can actually create segments within Klaviyo based around what product page did you click on? You know, what's the last time you visited the Shopify store? Um, what products are currently in your cart, right? Um, you know, so there's all these, you know, when's the last time you placed an order, right? So like, there's all these different criteria that's data, all this data that's presented through your Shopify store that we're collecting through that store, it gets automatically ported into Klaviyo that allows us to do a lot of these really robust uh, segmentations and, um, and automations. And so for those reasons, it's the platform that we recommend right now. Yeah, that's great. Um, I've heard amazing things about that platform for from a ton of e-commerce brands. Um, I, I, I'm going to depart here for a second and kind of um, um, make a hard right. I, I've gotten this question from from friends who've got e-commerce brands, uh, from people in the space and industry. So I'd love to ask you, the expert, on on this question. So, um, so let's say that you've got a, a relatively successful brand that is selling really well on Amazon. And you want to sell it directly in your Shopify store, but it's really, really hard for you to go and compete with that Amazon um, sales. What are some of your first like strategies? How would you approach a problem like that? Yeah, and that's we get this question all the time, and it's, it's unfortunately it's a very deep. It's a it's a it's yeah. sort of a Pandora's box question because there's a lot of factors that come into play here. Um, Brands that are successful on Amazon, there's a lot of ways you could be successful on Amazon by sort of playing the Amazon algorithm games. Um, and sometimes those brands are just not, not built for, you know, direct to consumer online without Amazon. So we see this all the time with like commodity products. Um, things that, like, you know, talk about like, you know, there's a brand that we'd worked with that was, uh, that was mainly like a, like a cookwares brand, but it was very like low cost, kind of cheap, um, you know, like spatulas and like sifters and like things you'd find in your kitchen, but no real, no real brand differentiations. Um, and it was fantastic on Amazon. They had a multi seven figure brand, um, because they just ranked incredibly well for Amazon, but it just did not perform well once they tried to go out into the broader market and sell through their own site. And so the first question you have to ask is like, do you actually have a brand, right? So are you, are you making sales on Amazon because you're a differentiator, your product has what we call, you know, unique selling propositions that differentiate you from the market. So that's sort of the first big thing is if you, if you are a brand and you have main, you know, product differentiation, then, then you can absolutely go out and, and, and create uh, your own channel uh, online. So that's sort of the first big question. Yeah, and then the question great. becomes, you know, once you have that, how do you actually make that transition? Um, and the, the best way we've, we've seen to do it is you kind of have to start from scratch to a certain degree. Um, you know, you launch your store, start building out your presence online, your brand presence online, driving traffic, building out email campaigns, everything you would do if you're launching a brand online without that Amazon component. But with that Amazon component, what you can do is you can start to do things like, um, you know, like packaging, right? So if you've got, you know, product packaging, let's say, for example, you're selling, 
uh, like a supplement, let's say, let's just kind of make something up like a supplement. You know, let's say your product packaging, you know, has, you know, your website on it, right? Or let's say you have sort of call outs on your packaging to go to this resource to, you know, get workout updates or to get, you know, lifting updates or, you know, training updates or things like that. You can use sort of, you know, parts of your physical product to actually then drive uh, people to other resources online is one way that we've seen that done well. Um, but it is, it does get very tricky. But the first question always is like, do you have a brand or are you just leveraging Amazon to sell a commodity? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And great answer to that. Um, and so I think that that's a big relevant topic for a lot of people. And um, I think as the Blue Stout would be a great resource for those people to go and, and start to create, a, create that brand and implement these um, strategies that you guys have been able to do over and over and over again. Um, so now we've got a company, let's say that we've got this company that's been doing well. Um, they're, they're at this like sweet spot of the eight figure business. You know, they just finally got over the $10 million mark and they're going to come to you and they're like, look, Alan, I want to get to 50 million. I want to get to a hundred million. I really, really want to scale. And so this is like really where you guys come in. This is your sweet spot is scaling these types of different companies. Um, your approach um, is probably going to be on a few different like areas that you're going to, you know, that you're going to try to tackle with inside that business. But can you talk about like, what are some of the big things that people should be thinking about? What are some of the tactics and strategies you like to incorporate when trying to scale? Um, that's like, every, you know, these are companies that, uh, that are doing well and that's what's on the top of their mind. Yeah, the and it's a great question. the The most common scenario, and we see this all the time, is that there there's typically a uh, there's typically a ceiling that these brands hit. Uh, most brands that have seen some early success, uh, let's say let's call it the ten million marks, that is a that is sort of one of those major kind of revenue ceilings that we see. Um, they typically got there with like one or two really strong tactics, meaning they either leverage something like uh, influencers incredibly well. Uh, they leveraged you know, Facebook advertising incredibly well. Maybe they were on Shark Tank. We work with a lot of Shark Tank brands uh, that uh, see their initial, their sort of the, you know initial sort of rocket ship growth uh, after that Shark Tank presentation. Um, and so typically it's one or two channels that kind of got them to that point. And now they're sitting there going like, okay, well, we've kind of plateaued, we've hit a ceiling, now what? And at this point, there's a lot of different things you have to do. And we are by no means experts in all of them. We have a very narrow focus. Um, but um, typically what we see is brands that are going and saying, okay, well, A, we have to diversify uh, sales channels. We have to diversify our traffic channels. Uh, and there's you know, dozens of different ways to do that. But the most important piece of all this is that you're going to be starting to go out to a broader audience. So when you hit that ceiling, it's typically because you've kind of exhausted this initial niche um, or, or, or you know, really uh, – concentrated audience group. So like, you know, for to kind of give you like the Facebook ads example, right? Like, you know, you always kind of create audiences, Facebook ads, and you'll eventually, you know, kind of hit, you know, hit a ceiling where you're like, okay, this, we've sort of maxed out this audience. So we need to go broader, right? So you can think about that same analogy when you think about just the general market, you have to go broader. The problem when you go broader is that your, your customer base, your prospects aren't quite as concentrated. So it's gonna be a lot harder to convert that cold audience. So you have to get really, really smart about what you're doing on what we call the other side of the equation. So if the equation is traffic times conversion times your average order value equals revenue, you know, you're, you're increasing that traffic number but you're really going to need to go in and focus on how the store is performing uh, and how your uh, order value uh, is performing. And so the very first thing we do with those brands is sit down and say, okay, let's look at what your current metrics look like right now. Um, at the traffic you're driving right now. And let's assume you're going to double your traffic, right? In order to scale, you're going to double that traffic. But in order to double it, we also have to assume that the potency of that traffic is going to decrease significantly because you're going to be going yeah. to a much broader audience. So if you want to maintain that, that those numbers, you want to maintain that conversion rate that you're seeing on this very concentrated traffic, then we're going to have to go in and optimize every piece of the customer journey so that you're really dialed in with everything starting from messaging and branding, understanding the pain points, the reasons that people are going to buy and not buy, and dial in that entire customer journey. The only way you can go out and expand to new audiences and quarter audiences is by going in and looking at that journey you're walking them through and optimizing for, for each stage of it. So that's where we always start. 
Yeah, great, great answer, man. That's so true. And I love that last point that you made that they they're just setting the right expectation. Um, people must love you because that's what I see so many people do wrong is that they think that the uh, oh, the hardest was getting to 10 million. Yeah, that was really, really hard. But to scale that you're basically repeating the same process all over again, you have to learn how to communicate this message outside of your core tribe, your core like users, and learn the new messaging all over again, learn what what they're what attracts them? What do they want? Um, and, and that takes time. It takes money. It takes testing. It takes optimizing. So that was really, really well said. The potency of the traffic that you're going to be getting when you're doubling it to, to scale your business from an eight-figure to a high eight-figure business um, it's going to take time and it's not going to be as potent. And you do need to look at the entire customer journey again during that process and see where the fall-offs are happening, what's working, what's not working. Um, and, and that takes an investment into the resources in your team. And it also is why people hire you, right? That's why Blue Stout exists is because this is not easy. This isn't everybody's like, oh, great. I got to 10 million. I'm, this, is, this is a piece of cake to get to 50. It takes an entire team of experts to really dial in. And you know, another thing I'll say too, is that um, I talked to a lot of marketers and um, some marketers just got a really good intuition. They've got really big, they're, they're, I call them big idea marketers and they can make wildly successful careers out of these big ideas. Um, and then there is the other side of it, which is more the quant based. And as we've been talking, that's, the, that's just what keeps coming to mind. It's like you're so quant based, you're so numbers focused and, and, and that's the real way you can tell if someone knows what they're talking, talking about or not is the numbers, right? Because numbers don't lie. It's black and white. Either you hit it or you didn't. It either did this or you didn't do this. And math's pretty simple. If you get a conversion rate at 2 or 4 or 6% and you have this much traffic that goes through it and the, the, your, order, uh, your average order value is X, you'll find out exactly what your revenue numbers are. You know, I mean, like it's not that hard. Uh, but so many people just avoid that, that like that extreme quantitative approach. But in my experience, it's these types of people like you um, are really the people that you should trust to scale your business with. It's the people that really get it because you're obsessed with it and you're constantly monitoring it. Um, are you seeing any um, out of the box strategies right now that are kind of floating up that you've got an eye on from a uh, either acquisition, traffic source, you know, um, it could run the gamut, but I'd love to hear like any ideas or, or like new trends that you're, you're excited about. Yeah, it's a great question. There's always, always things sort of bubbling up that are sort of new tactics. Um, it's funny and, and I'll answer the question, but the, I think the most, the most, the most impactful thing that we see like consistently across every brand that we work with um, because every single brand that we work with comes and they ask the question you just asked and the question and the way we always answer it is go, yes, there are, but you're not ready for it yet because you're missing on the fundamentals. So the way that we see, we, we, we see the absolute biz, biggest success by drilling down to the fundamentals first and creating leverage there and then applying some of these sort of new tactics or new channels or new sort of strategies that, that might be kind of invoked now. And what I mean by the fundamentals is that um, kind of, let's take that example of when you, you've hit that sort of ceiling, that, that $10 million ceiling, and you've got to go back and sort of reassess how you're messaging. You know, what we find is that a lot of brands just have very watered down messaging, right? Very watered down selling propositions. Um, you know, to use the potency example, just very, not very potent uh, experiences for the customer. That will by far have a more dramatic effect on your ability to scale, then saying, oh, let's test Snapchat, right? Or let's test TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. So where, what I always tell brand, and while it's, it's not as sexy, right? Because it's, you know, you always want to be trying the new thing. Um, I would say, first off, make sure you've got your fundamentals dialed in. You know, customers make purchase decisions in two stages. The first one's emotional and the second one is logical. And you've got to walk them through that process exactly like that in order to get a high conversion rate at your store. And so you have to make sure, first off, you're hooking them emotionally into why they should buy this. And that's, and that's a very primal experience for a customer. You've had it. You walk through a store. You see something on Instagram. You're like, oh, I want that or I need that or that solves a problem. And then that customer's mind immediately says, well, okay, it costs hundred bucks. Or like, you know what? I actually just bought a pair of shoes last week. Or, you know, you know I'm traveling this weekend. Will it get here in time? Like there's all these logical questions and then come after that emotional question. And you have to anticipate those and answer those and you know, talk them into buying versus out of buying with those answers. So that, 
that's the first piece I recommend to everybody who, who runs a brand is you dial that in first before you do anything else. Um, but after that, um, interesting enough, we see, we're seeing a lot of brands that are having major success, um, with, and it's, you know, it, this isn't some major secret, but it's, and it's something that again, in the digital space, everybody is, has been doing this for years, but physical products brands have not, um, it's building audiences. And it's and it's not utilizing Facebook. It's not utilizing sort of Instagram ads. It's really, really developing core audiences um, that that trust who you are. And it takes more time, but the brands that we see succeeding the absolute most right now are ones that actually started out with massive audiences and engaged audience. Maybe they're media brands or content brands, and then added a physical products component to it. Um, and so we're seeing the reverse happen where a lot of brands now are saying, okay, well, look, we, we know this works. We know customer acquisition costs are way lower. We have an engaged audience. So let's go out and start creating really engaged groups or communities or audiences around it. It's a bit of a longer term play, um, but it's something that, you know, three years ago, no physical products brand was really that focused on it, except for some of the folks that were pretty ahead of their time, like, you know, Glossier and, uh, and you know, Barstool Sports and, and guys like that. Um, but um, but right now, that's probably the most effective strategy we're seeing is brands that are uh, creating communities around what they're doing. And a great example is talked to a client the other day. Uh, they went from zero to a three and a half million dollar run rate uh, in less than two years uh, in the baby kind of baby clothing space. Um, and the majority of that can be tied back to a Facebook community of moms that she created the day she started the brand. Um, wow. And so she. It's a Facebook group. Moms share their kind of mom secrets, mom stuff. She does sort of limited releases to her Facebook group. Uh, before she launches a new product on the site, she announces it to her Facebook group first. Um, it's a really engaged community that trusts her. She takes feedback, puts that into new product development. Um, and she's been able to scale you know, through that without advertising uh, very quickly. So I would be focused on community, building out communities and content. Yeah, I love that. You know, everybody listen, it's not the times of you and me, you know, uh, are gone. It's it's a it's the conversation needs to be us and together, you know, so that's that's how you can make that transition. If you've got a brand that's always saying you, 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 you need this, you need this, you need this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. That's a you and me thing. And instead, a way to create community is together, we us, you know, we are going to do this. Let's, let's all of us do this together. And then it makes it feel so much more inclusive. So think about your messaging, think about the way you're positioning your product or service to be not so you, me, and much more us. Um, Alan, I, I ask everybody this question. You're a fellow entrepreneur, you're a CEO, you're a hustler, you're visionary, you're out there killing it. Um, how do you get inspired? How do you stay inspired? What are the things that you're doing to stay, um, you know, at the forefront of, of this huge momentum that Blue Stout has had? Um, what are you doing personally to stay, stay positive and, and encouraged? Yeah, I'd say it's probably two things. Um, uh, one of which I'm doing much less of because we've got a, an eight-week-old baby. But um, I'm a pretty voracious reader and, and podcast listener, and I've always found that to be my sort of main source of uh, inspiration and sort of education. And that's that's one of the reasons why we started the the Commerce Lab podcast, you know, the CommerceLab.com, uh, was specifically because I got so much value out of listening to other entrepreneurs. And I think we're we're in this this. We're in this time where I think a lot of people take for granted how much of this information is available. Like if you're, you know, if you're Rockefeller back, you know, back in the day, like you didn't have access to all this information. And so it's we we literally live in an age where you can learn anything about anybody and have yeah. the insights from the most brilliant minds in the world uh, on a daily basis in your car or in your home, you know, through books and, and and audio. And I think that's absolutely incredible. And I don't I don't discount that at all. Um, and then the second piece would be. I've recently started doing this, but it's been joining masterminds um, and it, it, paying a fair amount of money to, to do so. You know, some of these are, you know, you know, we're paying, you know, multiple, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a year to, to be a part of them. But um, getting in the room with other incredibly smart people and bouncing ideas off or having other people help you solve your problems um, probably has provided the greatest return on investment for me over the last three years for growing my business. And so I would encourage folks that are, especially those that are like digital entrepreneurs or folks that are kind of working remotely or from home is make sure you have a community, make sure you have a tribe of people that you interact with that are other entrepreneurs, specifically ones that are maybe a step ahead of you that can help you navigate those challenges. Uh, I found that to be incredibly helpful. 
Yeah. Wow. I love it. Fill up your tank, everybody, with really good in- information. It's out there and it's available and surround yourself with people smarter than you. Um, and that's, you can do that through masterminds. I, I by the way, I completely agree with, uh, with both and the masterminds have been one of the best things that I've done in the last, uh, two years or so, uh, that's helped my business out. So, okay. So, um, lots of people are going to be like, Hey, I need Alan in my life. I need blue stout in my life. How can they contact you? How can they work with you for sure? They need to go and check out your podcast or commerce lab because you're amazing, but how else can they, um, get in, co- in contact with you? Yeah, so I'd say you know, the very first thing is absolutely check out the podcast. Uh, you know, we're the Commerce Lab on on you know, whatever your favorite podcast uh, sort of listening app is, uh, or go to thecommercelab.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter. That's uh, it's not just the the podcast; it's a high value breakdown of the tactics that we're learning in the episode. So it's a it's a very succinct you know weekly update of kind of what those core tactics are from that brand. Um, and then, you know, if you are a physical products brand, if you're a brand owner, um, you know, specifically if you're a brand owner that's doing, you know, over a million in revenue, um, you know, the brands that we typically work with are doing between a million and 50 million. Uh, our core sweet spot is, you know, five to 20. Um, if you're one of those brands and, and you are specifically looking for help, you know, creating leverage in your business, increasing conversion rates, cr- increasing AOV or increasing revenue from email, then just go over to bluestout.com. It's you know, blue like the color, stout like the beer is how I always describe it bluestout.com. We actually do free strategy sessions for brands that are a good fit. And you can actually book time on our calendar uh, to sit down uh, many times with myself and one of our other lead strategists. And we will do a deep dive into the brand. We'll do a deep dive into your metrics and we'll help you lay out a game plan, whether or not you want to work with us or not. Uh, you could take that and implement it yourself if you wanted to. Uh, but if you want, if you're interested in doing that, you can go to bluestout.com slash strategy and just book a time on our calendar. I would take him up on it, everybody. Thank you so much, Alan. You are brilliant. Thanks so much for uh, bringing your genius to this podcast. It's been uh, a great time and we'll definitely have to have you back. And um, everybody else, thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Jeremy Blossom. And stay tuned for our next episode. You won't want to miss it. And thanks again for listening. Take care. There you go. That concludes another episode of the Secrets of Marketers podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're looking for even more content, more ideas, more things that you can do today to help grow your business, then head on over to my Instagram page at Secrets of Marketers. I've got a bunch of content on there and we are giving you guys access to all the behind the scenes stuff that go into making these episodes happen, as well as even more content that you can start to apply to your business today. And if you guys like this show, then help me spread the word. Go to the podcast page on iTunes and leave me a review. It's how I can rank well and how other people can find me. So go for it. Thanks for making my dreams come true. Now go make yours come true. Thanks again.